Thank you for coming. I'm uh, excited about today, this passage. We're going to be looking at Psalm 19. And, and honestly, it's a topic that I've really been thinking about for some time. I mean, months now, I've kind of been thinking about this. And, uh, and so I'm excited today to go through it. And what we're going to be talking about today is exciting. It is the commands of God in Scripture. Now, you might say, okay, commands. Like this is maybe not where the, it's exciting. It's not the word I would use possibly. But that's what we are talking about. And commands, they normally come from those in authority, and they're carried out by those who are under their authority. And uh, so without commands, though, life would be chaos, right? If we didn't have commands and authority, you know, where would we, like, it would be chaos. For example, I'm a dad. I give commands all the time to my children. They're important. I want my commands to be obeyed. Sometimes they're important, like get out of the road. Sometimes they're strange and things that I thought would never come out of my mouth, like, Stop licking your brother's head, right? And then sometimes they're just convenient for me, Dad. Like it's uh, commands like the dad tax. Hey, give me some of your Halloween candy, right? And, uh, you know, at my house, taxes were high, and, and all our Halloween candy is actually gone. You know, I've, I've eaten it all, you know, and so my poor girl paid a lot of tax. But what I want to answer for us today is how should we view God's laws and his commands in light of the gospel notion that we're not under the law, but under grace. How does that go together? And to be clear, there's a lot of commands in Scripture. But what I want to talk about today are what theologians would call the moral law. Okay, these would be commands in the Old Testament that are reiterated by Jesus in the New Testament. Commands like the Ten Commandments. Commands like Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Also, things like the Great Commission, commands like the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so these are the commands that I have in mind this morning as we talk. So let me pray, and let's go to the passage, and and we'll get started. Lord, we just pray for, I pray for wisdom. God, I pray for a heart that longs to exalt you and make much of you. God, a heart that longs for to understand your word and to live in light of it. And I pray that same heart, God, for your people here today, God, that we would love your law. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, Psalm 19. I'm going to read it real quick. It starts out as this. David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to, be, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So David starts his psalm 
with this, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And, and he starts with uh, this overarching theme that we see across scripture is that everything that is created was created for the glory of God, to make much of God. And I see too that in David, as he's writing, as I read it, I get this sense that David is really full of life. Like he's invigorated as he looks at the heavens. And uh, he's listening to God's creation proclaim God's glory. And, and he's in awe of God, the creator. And I would say that David is a person who's looking through the eyes of faith. And I would say that he is submitted to the truth of God's word. And he sees the world through that lens. And, and why do I say submitted? Why do I use that word? Well, to be submitted to something is to receive and accept the ruin of another without question. And so David here, he is submitting to the truth that God created the world. He's not questioning that. He's come to terms with it. And from that posture, he views creation. See, if you're on the fence that, hey, that God might or might not be the creator of the world, okay, if you say, I don't really think he is, well, then you're not going to look at creation and have the same sense of awe as somebody who does. So you'd say, hey, it was formed by random chance. That's nothing that you should... Uh, you know, you, can, you should brag about it. You know, it's just random. But if you say, no, God created it, then it was designed. You get a wonderful glimpse into the greatness of the creator. And so God's creation points us to the creator. And the more we learn about this world, the more we should be in awe of God who made it. See, we actually have more reason to be in awe today than David did back then. See, David is, he's considering the sun as it runs its course and as, as day goes to night and night goes to day and the intensity of the sun's heat. And, and all that is enough to really consider. If you really sit back and think about it, you'd say, wow, wow, that's incredible. But also today, we know more than David knew. We, we know things and, and you know, you, you might not know them exactly, but the information is out there. And it's called the fine-tuning of the universe. It's how the moon is the perfect size and affects the tide and the weather on earth. And the sun is the perfect size. It's the proper distance from the earth. And if it was a little further away or a little closer, there'd be no life here. And how the other planets in the solar system make it so that life is sustainable on earth. And how the sun gives heat to the earth and changes the weather on the earth. And, but also plants and life, we thrive with the sun's light. And so the, the more we learn about this world and biology and, and just everything about creation, it should drive us further to be in awe of the God who made it. That's, that's what creation, that's how we can look at creation. And so creation is speaking. The pastor says, day to day, to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. See, David is hearing what Christians is speaking, and this is the idea of general revelation. And it's this, that here's what creation is saying. There is a God. And God is more powerful than we can imagine. And he's also very thoughtful in his creating. And his attention to detail is incredible. And all creation is, is really saying, it's glorifying God saying, behold God, for he made me. That's what creation is saying. Behold the work of God. But then David takes a turn. He leaves creation. He drives smack dead into the law of God, the commands of God. 
the precepts of God, and he continues to delight in them. He says, the law of God is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And this is where I think sometimes our view of the law just doesn't quite square with David's view of the law. See, sometimes we have a simplistic view in the church. If you grew up in the church, and this view might be like this. Hey, God gave us a bunch of laws in the Old Testament. We couldn't keep them. He knew we couldn't keep them. They would make us feel sinful like failures, and they would drive us to our need for Jesus. And Jesus, who is in the New Testament, the good news is that he fulfilled the law, and by faith in him, we can go to heaven when we die. That's a very simplistic view of Scripture. And, uh, and it's actually fairly correct, right? I would say that um, the only problem with it is maybe your view of the Old Testament New Testament. It's like we need the New Old Testament today just like we need the New Testament. But the, the thing is that David, the problem with this simplistic view is it errs on the fuller picture of the, the beauty of the law. David was a man like us. He was, he was a sinful man that didn't keep God's commands all the time. But far from drudgery in the law, he delights in it. And if you really think about it, how often do you delight in laws or commands? Right? I'm thinking about my little girl. When I tell her, get out of the road, give me your candy, she's not like, oh, Dad, I, I'm just delighting in your commands. Like, I cannot wait to, to do that. You know, and so, no, she's got her own ideas, and, and laws are kind of like correcting her, right? And so she's not delighting in them. And, and if you think about it, it's like, I'm willing to bet this last year, there's not been too many laws. You've been like, I love that law. I love that command. But David does. He delights in the law of God, and, and today we want to unpack Why? See, it's true that the law is a problem for people. It was a problem back in the Old Testament for Israel. They clearly had other desires than keeping the law. And the plain reading of the Old Testament is that uh, they were not submitting themselves to God's law. And it was a standard of who they should be and what they should do. And they gave lip service to it. They said, God, we will do this. But over time, they proved that their desires were to not conform to the law. And you and I, in our flesh... We don't like God's commands either. We don't like commands, and, and I get it. I know what it feels like to have a, a sinful heart that wants my own way. And when I hear commands, I say, I don't know if I like that, if that squares with me. You know, I think of a, a command like, uh, such as God's commands to obey the, the rule, rulers and authorities, right? Our local government. And just something like the speed limit. You know, and, and how, it's, it's funny because you really think about it, it's like, I, we break the speed limit all the time. It's like, is that a law? Because that doesn't really feel like a law. It feels like a guideline. And, uh, but the truth is, we're all the time saying, no, I got to get there. I, I got to get to church because I'm going to be late. And I don't want people looking at me as the late person. Or, hey, I'm just tired of driving. I want to be there already. And, and so we just choose to, okay, let's just dismiss that law, and I want my way. And so it might seem silly, and, and, but the, the reality is that, that that same desire, it's a, it's a wicked desire that wants to prioritize ourselves over God's law. It's the same desire that leads you to a, a lustful affair, right, to get out of a hard marriage. It's like, hey, I want my way. 
See, we need to pay attention to this heart that's actually leading us to destruction. I would say that in today's world, it's a kind of you-do-you atmosphere that we live in. We're trying to do what's right in our own eyes. But God doesn't give up on his commands, right? His standard for how we should live. He doesn't give up on it. See, all creation is, is made to proclaim the glory of God except for one part, mankind. And he's not going to tolerate the rebellion. It says in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will give an account for every careless word that you speak. And so in fear of judgment, what we do often in church is we try to clean up our act. We try to gain God's approval and remove his wrath. And this is called legalism, and it's no good. We try our best to obey God's commands and put ourselves in God's good graces. But in order to be legalistic, honestly, you really have to put aside Scripture. You can't take Scripture too seriously. See, to be legalistic, you have to start thinking that your sins are small and not that serious. God's standard is not that strict. And we have to think that God is going to judge really bad people, but guys like me, we're not going to have a problem. You focus on your successes and you diminish your failures. It might sound like this, I go to church, check. Invited my neighbor to church, check. Haven't had an affair on my wife, check. I don't steal things, never even thought about killing my neighbor. Sure, I lied, but I, but I did apologize and I made it right quickly. And, I, and I, I'm a pretty good guy. That's a legalistic heart. And the reason I say you have to put aside scripture is because scripture comes in and just busts that narrative to pieces. Psalm 14.3, we covered a few weeks ago. David says, all have turned aside. Together they become corrupt and none who does good, not even one. And really, we look at where God places the bar. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and might. And that's to do everything for God's glory. That's a, there's no room for you do you in that picture. It's a everything is done in submission to him, for him. And what's wild is that our sinful heart that says, I want to just do what I want to do, it, it cannot obey that command. It doesn't do it. And so we're failing all the time to obey God's commands. His, his standard is just too high. But also, it's not just all the ways that we know that we don't hit the mark, where we see we're being maybe selfish and, and not submitted to the commands of God, but it's also, there's a lot of ways that we don't know about it, and we're guilty for them as well. David says in verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. See, we're committing, all, we're committing sin all day long that we don't even know about. Right? You come before God in judgment, it's, it's hey, I, God, I knew I did this, but I didn't know I did this. And so legalism, although it seems like you're trying to submit to God, legalism is actually rebellion. See, it's not submitting to God. You're not submitting to the truth of God's word. You're rejecting the fact that you are worse off. You're in worse shape than you could even imagine. That you're a sinner and you're unrighteous. And to submit yourself to God's word is to receive that without question. And so God's law, his commands, they're showing you that. They're, they're driving you to this place where you're ruined before God. You, me, our neighbor, everybody is ruined before God. And guilty before a holy God. Legalism is rebellion. 
And so what do we do when we've broken God's commands? Where do we find ourselves if we don't have any righteousness of our own, if we're guilty? Well, it's true, our sins need to be atoned for. They need to be taken care of and dealt with. And we need to find some righteousness outside of us. And that leads us to the gospel. You see, God, he sees our need for righteousness. And he comes to be our righteousness. He comes down from heaven because of his desire to show his great love for us. And he kept the law, the righteous requirement, so it would be fulfilled. Right? He, he lived a sinless life, a perfect life. And he took his perfect life and he went to the cross and he became a substitute. And he atoned and paid the price for our sins. And he made us, he justified us, making us just as if we'd never disobeyed God's commands and just as if we'd always obeyed him. And it's his righteousness. And he gives that to us. And he gives it to all who have chosen, are choosing, and will choose to submit to God's word. For those people, he finished their sin. He, it is, he said on the cross, it is finished. And he rose from the dead, and he's gone to prepare a place for us. And in the meantime, he's given us his Holy Spirit, who allows us to know God's word, to receive God's word, but also gives us a new heart with new desires to glorify and make much of God. You know, as far as the law is concerned, Jesus sets us free from the law, and I mean truly free. And we know this in Romans 3, where Paul is laying out the case, he's laying out the gospel story, and, and he kind of brings up this objection that he knows that people are going to bring up. His people are going to say, well, if that's true and you're truly free, then why not do evil that good may come? And the point is, that's how free you are in Christ, is that you could do evil and good would come. It's, that is total freedom from the law, from the consequences of your sin, total freedom that Jesus gives us. But yet, I still use the word that Jesus died for those who are submitted to him. And what I mean is, it's a receiving the truth of, of God's word that I have no heart, no hope apart from Christ. I'm ruined. But yet, also receiving the truth that Jesus is my righteousness and he alone is. And if we can receive that, if we submit to that, that's what we do as believers and we walk in that day to day. John 8, 32, Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the, the Christian life, the key to it is submission. But it's submission to the truth of God's word. You know, some of you are here today and you're not submitted to God's word. You've not come to receive the truth of Scripture. And so I'll just say, what is stopping you today to receiving God's word and, and taking it as truth? Yeah, but we believers who submit to God's word, we see Jesus from a different lens. We love him and we desire to make much of him because he's our hero. He's our rescuer. But not only is, our, is he our hero, he's a king, and a king that we love, a king that we love to make much of. And, and as a king, he does give us commands, and he calls us to submit to him. 1 John 5, 3 says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So what becomes of our relationship with the law now? Well, Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf, but that doesn't mean he did away with it. 
On the contrary, we're not saved by the law, but we are saved to it, to obey it, to keep it. See, God's commands are a picture of who God is. And you are created to be like God. And anything that makes you not like God is a breaking of God's law and his commands. The law still remains as the standard of who we should be. And in heaven one day, when we know God face to face and we see him in his goodness fully, we're going to choose to sin no more. We will all be perfect law keepers. See, we know it's, it, we don't live in a you-do-you world. We live in a we submit, to the joy, we submit joyfully to the king world as believers. And David didn't love the law because he kept the law. He loved the law for two reasons, I think, in this passage. One is because obedience brings glory to God. And the second is that there is great reward. See, David delights in taking his place with the rest of creation and, and proclaiming the glory of God. See, all creation is proclaiming the glory of God except for one part mankind and God is redeeming that. He's restoring us to our rightful place. And so when you place yourself under Jesus' authority, under the authority of Scripture, you know, we're still faced with the struggles of day to day. Right? We come to a, a fork in the road. Am I going to do what I want to do and dismiss God's commands? Or am I going to submit myself to God's commands, his design, and say, God, I, I don't know how this is going to go, but I, I choose your way, and I believe that your way is better. When we choose obedience to God's commands, that's what we're saying with our actions. Hey, look at my king. This is how he tells me to navigate this situation. This is how he tells me what to do. Look at his commands. And as you delight in him, you say to the whole world that his ways are actually right. They are contrary to my desires and my own flesh to, to do what I want to do. But, but as I do them, I see that his ways are right and good. And I could not have come up with better laws by which to rule my life. Better laws in which I deal with my friends and my family. And I'm really saying, God, look how incredible you are, how your ways are. Look how good they are. And you want to conform your life to God's commands. And David's doing that. Verse 14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That's David's heart right there. Is God, may I make much of you and may those actions be acceptable. And so as we submit to God's commands, we continue to delight with David. And there's actually great pleasure in doing that. See, we start to say that the law of the Lord is perfect, giving me strength and confidence in the way that, Lord, you desire me to go. The testimony of the Lord is sure. I will never be wrong in, doing, in following God's commands. Yeah, I don't know how to respond to every situation, but I do trust God that his way is better and that glorifies God. And, and we'd say the precepts of the Lord are right. And, and oh, Lord, if only everyone would submit themselves to you and to your commands, what a world we would live in and what glory God would receive. And the commandment of the Lord is pure. There's no downsides in judgment in obeying them. And submission to God's commands is magnifying Christ's rule on earth. See, what we need is a thirst for the glory of God. See, it's true that we still have a battle. We still have this nature that says, I want it my way. I don't want to submit to, to God's way. But we also have this heart 
this new heart that Jesus gives us that says, I want God to be glorified and made much of. And those two were in conflict. And so in that battle, one, one is going to win. And through the power of the gospel, we can say, God, help me. Give me the strength to overcome my desires for, to do things my way. Give me the strength to submit to you, to walk in obedience. Not that I am righteous before you by my obedience, but because you're glorified through my obedience. You're made much of. See, all of a sudden, it becomes the commandment of the Great Commission in your personal ministry and in your calm group. It's, it's hard and it's challenging, but as it gives glory to God, it becomes our delight. Commands to love your neighbor, your family, partners here at Legacy. You know, it can be challenging at, time, at times. But as it, as, it, as it gives glory to God, it becomes our delight. Submission to one another, right? Deferring one another over ourselves. Submitting to the, the, uh, the church, the elders of the church. It's hard. But it becomes our delight as we see that it gives glory to God. And we're saying to the world, behold our God. And God, may you be made much of. And so I write your commands on my heart. I think about your law. I think about your statutes so that I can make much of you. You know, for some reason, I don't understand it. Now, to be honest, I do not understand it. How giving glory to God and making much of God brings joy to my soul. But it does. And I couldn't put words to it. But there is a sense where it's like, as I have... As you make much of God and you celebrate what God has done, for some reason, just like David, like David gets a sense of awe. He's invigorated. And it does the same thing to our hearts. But I tell you the truth, I could not tell you why other than I just think that we were made for it. We were designed for it. You see, in heaven, it is going to be just a continual, wow, look at what God has done. As we look through human history and how God has orchestrated all things, it's going to be a, wow. And so I say all that to say, I don't understand it. But it is our deepest joy as believers to make much of God. And that leads me to the second point, why David loves the law, is that he loves it because of the reward in heaven. He says, more, your laws are more to be desired today than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. See, seeking reward is the essence of the Christian faith and our hope. It's Hebrews 11.6 helps us out. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, we would never come to God if we thought God was going to hit us with a hammer when we got there. But we will come to God if we know that God is going to reward us. So therefore, we submit ourselves to God's law for his glory and the reward. And it looks like this. The reward is not getting um, God to love you. The reward is not earning something from God or getting something that's not God. It's a delighting in making much of God and wanting Christ to be exalted. And in heaven, the reward is seeing that, knowing God, seeing the exalted Christ, and this life, this, this desire to glorify God, to make much of God, all of a sudden, the reward is 
you get to know God more. You're in his presence. And, and so it's the knowing God that is the reward and the joy. And, and that's where Jesus is always saying, hey, like your joy will be made complete in making much of me. Because I'm going to reward you with knowing me more. And so what about when we really don't have the drive and the delight to make much of God? We really don't care about the glory of God and we're kind of bogged down from day-to-day life. You know, if we feel like maybe we're in a spiritual desert, it's like, hey, I'm just not invigorated to go obey God. Well, God's commands, they'll feel burdensome at times when they come in contact with our fleshly desires for us to just seek our own way. And that's where we have to repent from seeking our own way to going back to making much of the Lord by submitting to his way and his design. But also we go back and we submit ourselves to the truth of God's word, that we're way worse than we could ever imagine, as Tim, Tim Keller says, and, but we're, we're more loved in Christ than we ever dared hope. And that's the truth. And we receive the truth of the gospel. And it's God's kindness that brings us to repentance and makes us want to make much of our king, our hero, our rescuer. And his grace gives us the strength to press on. And so what we need to do is we need to come to the gospel. We need to get refreshed and push on for our rewards in heaven. And so just some quick points of application. And we'll get out of here. One is uh, be like the psalmist. Submit yourself to the truth of God's word. Delight in the law of God and the commands of God. And learn the commands of God. Memorize them. Let them guide you through life in the way that you should go. You know, the last passage I want to say, say before we pray is Psalm 57.5. It says this. It says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. I thank you for this time to, uh, God, to preach to your people. And God, I do pray that, um, God, we would have a thirst to know you, to make much of you. And God, you would be glorified through our lives. And God, that you would give us the reward in heaven, God, of knowing you more and our joy would be made full. It's your name we pray. Amen.